Hello, welcome to Vineyard KC West podcast. For more information, visit us at vineyardkcwest.com. Hey everybody, I'm Cody and uh, excited to have Chaz and Heather Bell with me this morning as we're going to partner on the message. A couple of things, actually three things, uh, before we start the message. The first one is at vkcwest.com. If you haven't already, you can download the message notes uh, for this time and so that you can follow along. Uh, the next thing is, is uh, ministry time. And so that's something that's very important to us. And that's where we're not just listening for ourselves, but we're listening amongst the people that I'm worshiping with and I'm with. God, how do you want me to care for them? What's going on with them? So I want to encourage you, if you're watching with a group of people, uh, to be asking God that. Like, what, God, what do you want to do? And then after the message, respond during that time. Then the last thing is we're going to take communion today. And so as we do that, you may have elements at home. Uh, the key thing is, is, is something, some sort of bread and, and ideally grape juice. But uh, if you have something else you need to substitute, that's cool too. But what we're going to do today is, is we're actually going to we're actually going to dive into uh, what's called Palm Sunday and actually Jesus, uh, his triumphant entry into Jerusalem. We're going to look at John chapter 12, verses 12 through 19. And it's a wonderful passage, but as I read it this week, we're going to hear from uh, Heather and Chaz, and, but as I read it this week, I really was thinking about how people see Jesus differently uh, depending upon what they're looking for. And, and I was thinking about how sometimes we... We miss, like Jesus, we miss the beautiful things in our lives. We miss the things that are always there, but somehow we, we stop seeing them because we try to force them into a certain mold. And when my family and I lived in Colorado for five years, we were there pastoring a church, and we lived on what's called the Front Range. And the Front Range is where the Rocky Mountains uh, hit the plains of the east, and they travel on for actually quite a bit of while, all the way to here, and then, and then, and then even more, right? And so, but we lived in this area and uh, along the front range and, and the mountains were just so majestic, so beautiful. And after a bit though, we noticed that they kind of faded in to our everyday life. And so we came up with a question that Michelle, my wife and I would ask our kids and our, each other is, do you see the mountains? And it's a key question that I want us to look at today is, as we read this passage of Jesus, do we truly see him? Uh, our brains like to put things into compartments and categorize things so that we don't have to work as hard, so that we're comfortable. And sometimes we can do that with the most wonderful, beautiful things in our life. Sometimes with our spouses or people or family or, or kids uh, or things that are wonderful in our lives. Uh, in the story today, you actually see people that are putting Jesus into different categories and they're maybe trying to put him into a religious category or they're trying to put him into a political or nationalistic category. So it's a wonderful passage with lots of action and, and, and Heather and Chaz are going to share some of that with us. So let's read it together. This is, this is John chapter 12, verse 12 through 19. And it says, The next day the great crowd that had come for the festival heard that Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem. They took palm branches and went out to meet him, shouting, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the king of Israel. Jesus found a young donkey and sat on it, as it is written, Do not be afraid, daughter Zion, see your king is coming, seated on a donkey's colt. At first his disciples did not understand all this. Only after Jesus was glorified did they realize that these things had been written about him and that these things had been done to him. 
Now the crowd that was with him when he called Lazarus from the tomb and raised him from the dead continued to spread the word. Many people, because they had heard they had performed this sign, went out to meet him. So the Pharisees said to one another, See, this is getting us nowhere. Look how the whole world has gone after him. Thank you. Yeah. So when Jesus entered Jerusalem on that day, as we just heard about, this was... Um, it was a triumphant entry. It was a moment that was so full of these rich details, right? Lots of um, pageantry and lots of drama. We see like the crowds and the festival and the donkey and the palm branches and all these things are packed with meaning. And they all reinforce this image of a king coming to rule. It was deeply symbolic for the people at that time that there, there was a king coming to establish his rule and reign. And what makes this such a striking picture is that this large crowd of people, these people, they wanted a king. See, a long time before this, the Jewish people didn't have a king. And as a nation, they, people thought that if they did have a king, that a lot of their problems would sort of work themselves out, that the king would kind of fix the things that they're facing. God had told them that if they live a certain way, that they would be, you know, a holy nation treasured by God, and they thought they had an idea of what that meant, and they didn't feel like they were living that experience. So they asked God for a king. And over many years, um, dozens of different kings came and went. And nearly all of them failed their people in some way or another, either religiously, politically, morally. None of them really lived up to the gravity of their role as a leader of God's people. Instead of solving their problems, the kings often created more or different problems. And so the people found themselves saying, this isn't what we thought it would be. This isn't working, like there must be something more. God said that our lives would be different from the nations around us if we live a certain way, but we don't feel like we're living um, our, our present lives, like, in the goodness and the peace that the presence of God should bring. So they begin to hope and cling to a new promise that there would someday be a perfect king whose rule would bring in a new age of peace and hope and love and prosperity and health and life, and that this king would restore all the goodness of all creation. But that promise was more than any human king could accomplish, and so these people were left waiting and waiting. And so at this time in history, in John 12, as we read, the Jewish people again find themselves wanting a king, a king that would come and set things right. Because yet again, they're living lives that seem to fall short of the promises of God. They're under the oppressive rule of the Roman Empire. It's not what they thought it would be. But they have a promise that they're holding on to, so they have hope. So people come and they gather and they're lining the streets. And I picture this kind of like what I imagine um, like the Chiefs Parade would have been like. We're probably maybe not familiar with that because like it's been a long time since we've been, you know, close to like a fellow human. We're trying to keep our social distance, but picture like a large crowd of people um, 
you know, like in the, the Chiefs Parade or the Royals or something, and even if you weren't there, you, I'm sure you saw pictures, like there's lots of people kind of pressing in, maybe elbowing past each other, stepping on toes, trying to get in close and peer and look over and see like, this is Jesus. Like, is our hero like really who he thought we would be? So there's thousands of people lining into the streets of Jerusalem. They've heard about Jesus and they're coming to see him. Jesus is pretty famous at this point. I like to say like he's trending right now. He's um, been traveling around this whole area of the world, performing miracles, healing the sick, raising the dead, um, casting out demons, um, teaching the ways of God with power and authority. And now he's entering Jerusalem, like the um, social, um, cultural, political, religious center in this really um, dramatic way that symbolizes a king coming to rule. So they had to come and see. So verse 13 says, as Cody read, they took palm branches and they went out to meet him, shouting, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the king of Israel. Says Jesus found a donkey and sat on it. As it is written, do not be afraid, daughter Zion. See, your king is coming, seated on a donkey's colt. So, yeah, the donkey, the donkey business kind of gets lost on some of us, so, but John spells it out, and he, he's quoting a verse from Zechariah that talks about a king coming in, in victory. Part of the verse says, see, your king comes to you righteous and victorious, lowly and riding on a donkey, on a colt. It may have been lost on us, but the Jewish people knew their history, and they knew their prophecy. And they saw in Jesus in this moment, like the fulfillment of their hope and their expectation. Um, they saw like hopes, just glimpses of their deliverance and their freedom. There had been a rumor going around that Jesus might be the Messiah. He, the Messiah is one who would come in the name and the power of God and he would save the Jewish people. And that rumor was being confirmed in this moment. This is a pretty messianic act. Um, it was a really like, the palm branches were really like overt uh, symbol of, of military like victory. The people wanted Jesus to be their king. And they thought that that meant that he would overthrow like the Roman conquerors, that he would become their perfect king and restore their lives to the peace that they've been waiting for, for so long. They were celebrating and expecting a king that would make everything right? Can Jesus bring the change we need? You know, they're asking themselves, and like, they thought so. They wanted him to be their king, like, Hosanna, they shouted, like, save us. They thought he could do this. So they come offering themselves, um, like, to place themselves under, like, his kingship. They say, God, like, look at us, look at our lives. Can you fix this? Can you make it right? Can you be the king we want? Are you the king we want? And they find out in so many ways, kind of as the week progresses, that it's a little complicated. My answer kind of ends up being like a yes and no, right? He's, he is the king that they need, and he's the one they've been waiting for, but it's just not going to look like they expect. He has the power and the support of the people. Um, he has reputation. He obviously comes in the name of God. Um, verse 17 tells us that people had seen 
him like raise Lazarus from the dead. And those people who had witnessed that are, are going around telling everybody, saying like, come and see, come and see Jesus. Like, we think he's the one. Like, this guy is it. They wanted Jesus to be their king, to fix their world, to heal their bodies, to restore their like politics, restore their society. But Jesus doesn't do that. At least he doesn't do it right away. And he doesn't do it in the way they expect. He doesn't come on a war horse, ready to overthrow the, the Roman government. He comes on a donkey, the cult of a donkey. He doesn't come like in power and might to destroy. He comes pretty much like effectively to be destroyed, to die on a cross. And so the people, as they're asking, is he the king we want? Is this Jesus? Is he the one? They want him to be their king, but it turns out it's, it's really not what they expected. So, Chad's going to finish us up. <laughs> yeah, and one thing for sure, like what this means for us, one of the themes that we see at play is just our own expectations. Um, this entire event, the parade that was happening for Jesus, was full of the people's expectation. They shouted Hosanna, which means save us. They, wanted, they said, come and be our king. They wanted to make them the king. And, and these expectations, I think one thing they all had in common was they were all full of these uh, expectations of a change in circumstance. You see, God, when he first established the nation of Israel, what he told them was, if you will be my people, if you will obey me, then I will be your God and you will have shalom, you'll have peace. And the people were seeking after God, where is this shalom, where is this peace that you promised us? We want you to come and be our king. And, and God had never intended for the, the Israelites to have a king. He was supposed to be their king. Because, you see, one of the, the issues that we have, and, and, and all of us have this, is, is this expectation or desire that someone else would come and take care of the things that I can't control. Someone else would come and, and fix all the external circumstances. God, I'll obey you if... All the circumstances are in place. It'd be how many guys, how many times have you said, man, it would be so much easier to be a Christian if it wasn't for blank, right? Like if my boss wasn't so demanding, it'd be so much easier to be a Christian, right? We, we joke about it all the time, but we all have an expectation from Jesus. How many of you came to Jesus expecting him to fix all your problems? And as you started walking out your faith, you realized that, that, this was a lot harder than it thought you first thought. Everyone expected Jesus to come and overthrow the Romans. They expected him to come and change the external circumstances. They expected him to come and defeat an enemy. And he came to defeat an enemy. It just it wasn't the one they thought. See, Jesus came to solve the root of the problem, not the symptoms. The, the external oppression, the, the hatred, the violence... Whatever the external factor is, Jesus saw that as a root of a bigger problem. And he said, look, all, all of these things, they will take care of themselves if you make me the king of your heart. If you allow me to be the king of your hearts, then all the rest of it will work itself out. But if you're expecting someone to come in and take care of all your circumstances... And, and, and don't get me wrong, God cares about the circumstances. He works miraculously through those things. But when we're talking about expectations, man, this week didn't turn out how anyone expected. 
You guys know what's coming on Friday. Today, they were ushering him, wanting him to be king and fix everything. And on Friday, they execute him. And, and you have to imagine everyone thought, this is, this is not what we expected. This is not what we thought was going to happen. But Jesus did exactly what he had set out to do. He had defeated the enemy. It just wasn't the one that everyone expected. So as we reflect on the message this morning, as we reflect on this event, I think the real issue is, is what is, what is the external circumstance that you're wanting Jesus to take care of? What, what is the external circumstance that you feel like needs to be handled by someone else for me to have shalom, for me to have peace? Because when Jesus came to destroy the enemy, he came to destroy the enemy of peace, which is fear, insecurity. It's the fruit of the evil one in our lives. And so if we give Jesus the throne of our hearts, then we allow him to rule and reign in our hearts. And there's no more room for fear. There's no more room for insecurity. But that's not often what we expect from Jesus. You know, um, as we were praying about this morning, I, I really felt like Jesus was um, underlying that question. What is the circumstance that you've allowed to steal your peace? Are you acting in trust and faith, or are you acting out of fear and insecurity? Jesus' triumphal entry that day was significant because he was showing them what a good king was like, and a good king doesn't rule on a throne of gold and power. He turns down that throne, and so he can sit instead on, sit instead on the throne of our hearts. You know, I, I think this is actually really hard for us to grasp as, as uh, Americans, as a country that was actually born out of rebellion against a king, right? We, we really love our governmental system that's full of checks and balances. We like to be able to choose this guy, and if things aren't working out well, right, we can change out leader in four years and stuff. And, and so as Americans, we really don't understand the concept of a monarch. We want to try out this thing. And if that's not working, we'll try out something else. And I think even our political structure informs our expectations uh, as consumers, really. Like, we, we look at our leaders as, as people who are providing a service to us. That, that you need to meet our expectations or else we're going to vote in someone else. Right? And especially as we're in the middle of this election cycle, I think it's really important to pause and say, how is this... Uh, informed the way that I look at Jesus as king. Because when Jesus is king, we don't, we don't get to kick him off the throne because he hasn't met our expectations. So this morning, I, I really feel like we, we have a chance to reflect on what are our expectations of Christ? And are we open to him working in a totally different way? Yeah, thank you guys. Uh, lots to think about. Lots to think about. You know, is uh, Heather and Chaz were talking, I was just thinking, you know, what if, what if God is answering a lot of our prayers, like right now, like in this time? Uh, what if the expectations that we've had of 
him working in our lives, moving in our lives, and what if he's working in those right now? Like, what if a lot of what we are experiencing in this time, what if breakthrough is here for really to become the people that we want to be and for the life that we want to be? You know, in, in, the, in the story that we read today, Jesus came on a donkey, and what if Jesus comes in the midst of quarantine? What if, what if he comes in the midst of, of stay-at-home orders? What if, what if my neighborhood is transformed? What if my, my city is transformed? What if, what if my home is transformed? What if my family is transformed? And most of all, what if my heart is transformed during this time? Because Jesus comes riding in on something that isn't necessarily impressive. The whole wild, wide world is in this place. I think that's what's happening. So, so what do we do with this? Like, how do we take it home? is here's the, here's the offer. All of Jesus, all of God, is mine through relationship, is yours through relationship. And the trade-off, though, is all of me, is now he gets all of me. And we find that when we do that, he is just absolutely wonderful as we surrender our lives to him. You know, as Chaz referenced a little bit later at the end of this week, Jesus would lay down his life. And, and right after the verses we read earlier, there's this interaction. Jesus replied to some people that wanted to come and meet him in, in verse 23. And it says, the hour has come for the son of man to be glorified. You know, glory is an interesting word. We hear it, but glory means like substance, like weight. And so the weight of Jesus, like for us to see really who Jesus was, and ultimately for us to see really who God is, like the greatest picture of who God is, the weightiness of God is at the cross, is what he would do. That's how he describes it here. Very truly I tell you, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. Anyone who loves their life will lose it, while anyone who hates their life in this world will keep it for eternal life. That's what Jesus is offering us. He's offering us life. And, and you know, we're going to take communion uh, right now. And um, Chaz, if you can grab the, those elements there. And, uh, all of these were prepared with social distancing, uh, I, I promise. And so, you know, the call of communion is uh, something we can see in, in the Old Testament, in Isaiah. Isaiah 55, 1 through 2 says this. Come all you who are thirsty, come to the waters... And you who have no money, come buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without cost. Why spend money on what is not bread and your labor on what does not satisfy? Listen, listen to me and eat what is good and you will delight in the richest affair. So it's everything that is God's is ours. We can't buy it. We can't earn it. It's through relationship with him. And he's also pointing out that the things that don't satisfy, you know, I hear over and over again, when can we go back to the way things were before this crisis? When can we go back the way things were before this virus? And if you think back and you really think clearly, was it all that great? God's working in our hearts. He's drawing us back to him and he's drawing us back to each other. What if God does something greater? What if he changes our hearts and our lives? What if, what if we are, have a simpler life that is more the way God created it to be? could happen. I think that's the call. And then, the, you know, the, the reason for communion is Jesus said, do this in remembrance of me. Hear the word remember. 
remember Jesus. So put Jesus back together. We like to de deconstruct Jesus and, and deal with him differently. But when you take communion, you're putting him back together and you see the one that is fully God and fully man that laid down his life for all people. They gave his life for us. And so as we do this, that's what he does for us. And, you know, some of you may be watching this and you say, well, you know, isn't communion like for, for Christians? Isn't the Lord's Supper for Christians? And yes, it is. Now's a great time. So as you take this, Taking communion is a great way to give your life to Jesus. Jesus said this. He said, he said, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever uh, would believe in him would not perish, but would have everlasting life. And so maybe now is your moment to believe in him. And so you may have something at home. You may have some bread. You may have some, some juice. Uh, really, ultimately, it's something that's solid that you can eat and something that is liquid. And you can take that right now. Uh, and so uh, the bread, what it represents is it, it represents his body, that his real body was broken for us. And so, so when we take the bread, we're recognizing that he experienced real pain, that he, that he laid down his real life, that a crown of thorns was pushed down on his head and, and he was beaten, he was spat upon. And all of this, while he, he, could, he, you know, he, he could have stopped it or he could have done something, but he laid it down for us. His passion for his relationship with his father and his passion for his relationship with us, he laid it down. And so we take this bread in remembrance of you, Jesus. And then when we take the cup, right, it's the, uh, it's the blood of Jesus. The Bible says that there's no forgiveness of sin without the shedding of blood. And so... At this time, the passage we saw today was at the beginning of Passover. And experts agree that there was probably 250,000 lambs in Jerusalem at this time. And they were all to be uh, sacrificed at the temple for Passover. And these lambs would have to live with the family for three days before they were sacrificed. And so all around there was lambs just making noise and going around. But the greatest lamb, the Lamb of God, would, give a, would lay down his life during this time. And so it was foreshadowing what would happen, that Jesus would lay down his life and his blood would be shed. So we take this cup in remembrance of you, Jesus, and the blood that you shed. Thanks for listening this week. If you're looking for ways to serve, give, or get connected, please visit vineyardkcwest.com.